welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Preparing to live stream. This meeting is being live streamed. All right, we are live. This is the Chit Chat Money Investing Power Hour. I believe this is our 15th show. Investors seem to be enjoying them or listeners seem to be enjoying them. Uh, So we're going to keep them going as long as people like them. And uh, the, the only rule is that we can't come prepared with anything. It's supposed to be off the cuff, just raw thoughts on the markets for the week. Brett, do you have anything interesting that you've been looking at? Anything worth uh, talking about? Well, I think we got to talk about the Twitter fiasco um, that continues to boil over. And I guess there was the Unity acquisition that I think is an interesting case study in management um, or trying to evaluate you know, an executive team. Huh, any other stuff? I mean, inflation's high. We can talk about that, but every every single thing in financial news is talking about that. So maybe not. I don't know. Well, let's start with Twitter. I've got a few things in mind not related to Twitter. I'm not very familiar with the Unity acquisition, so uh, maybe we can save that for after. Uh, but I also should say, if you're watching this, we, we do this live on Thursdays at 12 o'clock Pacific time, 3 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, feel free to get your questions in because we we do find a lot of good questions. We got a good, really good one last week that had us riffing on stock-based compensation for 15 minutes. So let's start with Twitter. Uh, did you read the, the, the lawsuit papers, the, the official papers? I did. I didn't read it all. Some of the part, you know, the legal mumbo jumbo that <laughs> might be uh, maybe make make it so I actually don't understand it. Uh, but I skipped some of that, just kind of went through the highlights. And then looking at, say, the people that know this market extremely well, um, they seem to think that the Delaware court, if they're going off of historical precedent, will rule in favor of Twitter um, to make you know Musk and the, the finance team back them. But, or sorry, uh, go through with the deal. However, we all know Elon Musk typically wins in whatever he does and has not been afraid of skirting the law before. So I'm not sure. Also, you should change the gallery view. Uh, that's true. Right. Noted. Help out with, uh, yeah. we can see I've both been, people. I've been uh, reading. Gosh, how am I blanking out his name? The the best the Bloomberg yeah, the Bloomberg guy that's an expert in this stuff. Yeah, Matt, Matt Levine. Levine. Matt Levine. Uh, and someone said he was he was this was the moment he was born for. He was this is like Jordan in his prime, and the coverage has been great. I mean, he knows he has a pretty good view and understanding of the whole thing. The other thing I found interesting was uh, that interview with the old. Uh, 
chance, what is it? The chancery court, like uh, she used to be a vice president or something uh, on CNBC. And she talked about, it'll be hard to enforce a full acquisition. So chances are they will end up trying to find, trying to put sanctions on Musk in some way, either like a million dollar fine a day, $10 million fine a day. And I was just thinking like, if you find a million dollars a day, how long does he hold out? That's a lot. That's, that's a lot. It is. Yeah. I mean, there's more things they can do, which is, you know, uh, they can go into his other businesses and kind of lock them out or stuff like that. I don't, there's a lot of nuance in what they can, people can do legally. So I'm not going to say specifically what they can do, but yeah, that, that lady was on CNBC talking from that point of view, how it'd be really hard because he sometimes just does what he wants. However, there was also a lot of people that gave opposing views that it won't be that difficult just because they'll have legal authority to um, interfere in his other operations, if you know what I mean. Yeah. However, we, we, all, we don't know anything about this situation. I will, do you, how, okay. So say it looks like Twitter has a lock and shut case based on the historical precedent of those other ones that um, the Delaware court forced to go through, even though some things changes like two months after uh, the deal signed, which in this case, they're accusing them of having things changed after two months after the deal signed or whenever it was, even though they haven't really given any evidence. However, if they rule in favor of Musk, do you think there is any negative ramifications for the business world in general? Because I think it could be pretty large. How so? Well, if anyone is allowed to back out on a deal, that is not very... I don't, think, lo- I don't think this... It sucks to think someone's above the law, and I hate that, but I don't think this would be if they let Musk back out in some way, uh, which doesn't seem like the likely scenario in any way, but if that did happen, I don't think that that would be precedent for future cases. And I think people know that. Well, if they want to like start pump faking buyouts over and over. Well, that's what Elon's done. The, I think if, like if the if someone I think it is a precedent though if it happens so if it happens is therefore it, it could happen again some some rich person could be above the law I don't think that's great for the rule of law in the business world yeah and, but there's other precedents too that would be yeah but if it's newer it supersedes it so it's the new right that's how court history works Roe v Wade sure. that just happened you know the, do you not use any of the old cases. Well, I mean, this one would supersede it because that, like, I mean, there's other ones. What if there's some? True, true. Could be unique. But the thing is, like, okay, here's why did he sign the binding agreement? So, if that part was really dumb, like, I I tend to think he's pretty, and maybe this is a controversial opinion, but I think he's like fairly calculated with what he does sometimes. Like whenever there's bad PR, he's always out ahead of it. Um, he tends to know what he's doing. If this was just a long-winded way to sell some of his Tesla stake and realize it, 
he should he did not need to sign the binding agreement. He could have just said, "Oh, I'm interested in buying," and then made this whole fiasco about users not being real before he put his put the pen to paper and waived due diligence. Yeah, that doesn't seem very smart. He's in a bit of a pickle. Twitter's also in a bit of a pickle. He, what scenario would you like to see coming out of this? Uh, well, with no financial like skin in the game either way i would just like to see fairness and contracts and rule of law be held up if okay here you're like i i don't like musk and his companies i think they're pretty uh, what's the best word uh scummy like like not you know they don't do things the right way which i don't like if they find evidence that say 50 percent of the MDAUs, which is the daily active users number they're uh, going over, are fake. I would want them to rule in favor of Musk because that you know is a huge material breach. Or if there's something else that comes up, they find evidence. Uh, there's just no way. There's there's no way. It's just not. Like, I, mean, I engage with people on a daily basis, and I there's know no way that all the users on there aren't real. Half my family, half my friends are real. The the the, the yeah, the thing is global. I, I I'll just say like that's that's you know I I just want kind of the rule of law to go through. Per, also, as a yeah, I I don't know like the outcome doesn't matter that much to me. It'll just be entertaining, but it'll be interesting to see because Twitter seems like a company that's not managed very well, and Elon has been extremely good. At winning in court, um, if you were any sort of legal thing, so it's it seems like he's got the advantage here. If you were but, a Twitter shareholder, what would be the ideal uh, outcome? My oh, thought yeah. is, <laughs> go, ahead, I, go ahead. I saw something that, and this is kind of all just Twitter speculation. Someone was saying, you know, he could have to owe five to, I think it was some sort of a sell side or buy side note that said he could have to owe like five to eight billion dollars in damages that's you know just he owes that doesn't have to buy the company but he, he pays that to the company isn't that wouldn't that be better you get five to eight billion dollars cash in the door you keep going about your business plus that liquidity oh yeah they'd already started a buyback program the stock would probably go down to that that would probably be a better outcome I have no idea trading, how likely that is. Yeah. It's trading like the acquisition won't happen. So what's the market cap today? Probably, I'm guessing, $30 billion. Yeah, something like that. Uh, 20, 28. So if you got $8 billion in cash, what, what, do you treat, what do you treat an $8 billion settlement as? Is that operating cash flow? <laughs> <laughs> I am not sure how they treat that, but it's definitely a one-time charge. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a better outcome than having the deal go through. But if they're not going to have a huge cash payment, like if it's only a billion dollars you know, relative to the size of the business, I think given their lack of performance, stalling of growth, um, I know they've had a couple of decent years advertising-wise. I, I think... But the advertising getting, landscape's getting tougher right now. True. And... Given the, I think the deal, I think you'd want to hope for the deal to go through as a shareholder. That's really? a win. It's a win. Yeah, for sure. 
the company is not worth that much. It's not, it's not worth, unless they can supercharge growth. It's not, I don't think it's worth $54 have, a share. Okay. You'd rather have a $44 billion buyout for, let's say uh, a fair value, $30 billion company. Maybe it's less, maybe it's 25. Or would you rather have an $8 billion cash injection for that $25, $30 billion company? No, I, that's what I said. I'd rather take the $8 billion. But yeah. let the lesser it goes, you know, at some point you'd rather take the buyout. They have a huge also Twitter has a huge, if I'm not mistaken, let me look at their balance sheet quick. They have a huge cash position already, like six billion dollars. And what has that done for them? I could be wrong. That might have been block. I confused the Dorsey companies. Um all right, first quarter results. Sorry, go ahead. The uh oh, I kind of lost my train of thought. Did you see? Uh, I guess Trump is going after Elon now as well. So the That's right. two two titans going at each other in terms of uh, managing managing the public's opinion. The social media um, warriors. I don't know how to describe them. Yeah, their their worlds are colliding, and uh, I think they're more. Is this this won't? I know everyone has strong opinions of both those people, but I think those those. Two guys are so similar. It's not like like super similar. Whether you like is, them or those don't. two, the, the the loyal supporters of both would tell you that they are not. The Venn diagram, especially now that, that they're strong. butting heads. Hey, well, uh, Musk moved to Texas. Who knows? Okay, here's Twitter's balance sheet: three point four billion in short-term investments, assuming that's all cash. Two point two eight billion in cash and equivalents. Um, no other. It looks like nothing other long-term. And they got some convertible notes. And I guess they got some senior notes as well. Ah, net cash position isn't that strong, but still, they. What's that gonna? What's another? A little bit more of doubling the cash position gonna do if the business I can't see? <laughs> I, I think it's it's such a. It's like being a fan of a sports team that you know. Never can seem to get it together. It's been idling for. Exactly. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by stratosphere.io, the best web-based research terminal for company-specific metrics like KPIs and segment revenues. The service saves time, has a beautiful interface, and has the best data visualizations on the internet for equities. Now, our favorite features are the 10 years of data with data visualizations. This includes company-specific KPIs, charts for all the financial metrics you might be interested in, and stuff specifically for that company. So for example, if you're looking at a payments company, you might have take rates, you might have GMV. If you're looking at a marketplace, you'll have GMV as well. All that good stuff that can get you updated on your research process. If you want to get started today for free, go to stratosphere.io and start utilizing the powerful research terminal. Again, that is stratosphere.io. The link is in the show notes. We hope you'll join us on there today. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what Twitter would do with $8 billion. Hopefully, I, honestly, maybe the best thing to do is for them to just become like a holding company and just start buying other businesses because I don't have any faith in Twitter's business anymore. I don't think you can put... Well, there's there's no... Okay, let's say you put more capital or more investment into engineering staff or research and development. How You've been doing that this whole time. There's been no improvement to the platform. 
Maybe there's been marginal improvement. So it's almost better to just go find a different business. The, uh, oh, what was like, oh, the other thing I was going to say is like, who, who should be the remaining shareholders of Twitter right now? Of what Twitter? type, what, what type of people think it's right to be a Twitter shareholder right now? Well, I think it's all merger arbitrage right now, right? Well, unless you're a contract lawyer, I don't think you have any sort of edge on whether or not that's going to happen. Even if you are a contract lawyer, maybe you shouldn't be either because Elon might be able to be above the yeah. law. So I was, I'm like, who? Maybe it's merger arb. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, if you're just a, if you liked the business for what it was, I don't think it'll be that necessarily moving forward. And they're probably going to have lower ad revenue, I'm guessing. I agree. Also, the employee turnover has been strong. If you like merger arb, you got the Activision Blizzard deal right there. Buffett's in there. He's a long term expert on merger arb. I, uh, Right, that that one's the spread's not as wide as Twitter's, but still very very wide. That one seems to me a lot more interesting, or maybe not interesting from an entertainment perspective, but I think the outcome is more likely in that one. Yeah, but we're gonna have hindsight twenty twenty if because you know going you know the experts Matt Levine. All the other people that ha- uh, have looked at the case law for all these, uh, you know, merger type cases in Delaware say it should be a lock and shut case. So I think if it gets forced to go through, we'll think, oh yeah, that was the obvious move, right? Musk and the team had no standing, but I feel like we just have a bit of, um, what's the word, shell shock or PTSD with. You know, Musk evading basically when any sort of agency or anyone is trying to get him to do something not illegal, he just shrugs him off. Like, I think there was actually an article out today that when he signed that agreement with the SEC, you know, he's kind of ignored that with tweeting material stuff on Twitter. Um, if you remember that one, and then with the 420 buyout thing, apparently he's just stopped communicating with the SEC at all even though that's a huge deal that so I kind of, I think that's definitely in the cards. I wouldn't, you know, if he's had that strategy of just ignoring what these people say, uh, it's hard to believe he won't try that again. If he really doesn't like what they tell him to do. Yeah. Well, let's move on. The, uh, I don't want to talk about Twitter any. <laughs> I, I can't let him live in my head for uh, for too long. The uh, something I have been kind of interested in. I so I I like hit pause on that Saudi America book and then I like resumed it and re- finished it and then found it fascinating and I looked up some like video renderings of fracturing or fracking. That engineering is really kind of sick. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Big time innovation. That's why gas prices are way lower than Europe in the US for any US listeners. Yeah. It's it's cool yeah. stuff. I I guess I never like dug into like how uh how advanced the oil and gas actual like 
technology really is and how much value it actually provides to human beings. Mm, Yeah. There's a, it's a cliche. I'm sure everyone's heard it, but if you're long oil prices, you're short um, innovation, which makes me sound like Kathy Wood, but it's true. Yeah. Or even short innovation within its own field. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's probably not what she was referring to, but yeah. Well, no one knows what she's referring to. The uh, the other thing I was thinking about was, let's say you, and I tweeted this this morning, but let's say you took a basket. I've been, I've been thinking about stocks that like you could lose all your money, but the upside is there. And if you took a basket approach with those, so scenario, let's think Poshmark. Like we just, we just covered them on the podcast. They have a uh, pretty significant cash balance and they've, at one point, we're generating more than $100 million in cash in a year. Their enterprise value is like $200 million. So it could theoretically be trading at like two times its yeah. power. Well, yeah, but the funds pay uh, the funds payable to customer thing makes it look a little bit better. The enterprise yeah, value sure. should be a little bit higher. And the funds payable makes free cash flow look way, way better. However, that's probably a permanent part of the business. So I just wanted to make that clarification. That's why the numbers look so good sometimes. Yeah. But they, you know, it is, if things go right, that's a permanent part of the business. So my thought is, and the other one is like Carvana, which is kind of in like a even stickier spot, but it's, there's, there's a bunch of businesses right now where if things went right, and they return to some level of profitability over the next one to two years, and we're still growing, they should multiple re-rate or should at least see big appreciation in their stock price. If you took a basket approach with those, shouldn't you, let's say you think the upside is more than a double. Or let's say the upside's 5x, but you could lose whatever, 80% of your money. Isn't mm-hmm. that a risk you should take? And how many of those are out there? If you got 10 of them, yes. But you, I think okay, you got five. You've got five that the average upside you think is like a 4x, but you could lose more than 50% of your money. Isn't the risk still there? Risk reward? Yeah, if you could quantitate the down, I mean the downside's easier to calculate because it's zero. We, you know, the businesses that have that downside, um, but I think the upside is not. You can't. It's not like five x exactly. If you get what I mean. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's, yeah. It's, it's I think nice. management's huge. Management's huge in these situations. What's tough is that when we look at these type of businesses, Carvana, Poshmark, uh, there's been plenty of others that seem super cheap and kind of have some hair there. I always come away disappointed in management. Or not always. A lot of the times, I come away disappointed in management. And I think that's the deal breaker for me a lot of the times. Uh, maybe I'm too picky with management, but... it. <laughs> Compared to, that's just, I hate taking that risk of having a bad management team. Yeah. 
thought it's a possibility, but still, it the could stuff's be, not, it could be yeah. shitty management. It could be a not that great business. If it's cheap enough, it could still be worth it. Yeah, at the right price, anything's. Yeah, I mean, at the right price, you'd buy anything. Well, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Some businesses like Carvana, I think the chance of going to zero is super, yes. super high. But There's I mean, no say, say, uh, yeah, Poshmark. Um, Let's say a trade below has... net cash. It's a net net. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> because they're going to take that cash and destroy shareholder value. We've seen it. We, you got can't some, go back. We've got some uh, uh, comments in the chat. But uh, Travis Benny says, hey, guys, been listening to the Chit Chat Money podcast for a little while now and really enjoy it. Thank you. Uh, love these free form conversations as well. See, been getting a lot of feedback like that. and I'm shocked, but uh, that's good. We're going to We'll continue. Uh, if this question is not appropriate for this conversation, feel free to disregard. Uh, oh yeah, this is fine. How do you determine the companies that you cover on the CCM podcast? It ranges. We get a lot of inbounds, I guess, from listeners where or requests, I should say, from listeners to kind of cover ones. But if it's something where we feel like maybe it wouldn't, we wouldn't provide value to listeners by talking on it, or it isn't worth speaking about, what we might disregard like some. Some of the ones that we've that are probably in that bucket are like asset managers. Well, we made that mistake with Brookfield Asset Management. Um, yeah. yeah, sometimes we make that mistake, <laughs> but yeah, typically it's either a recommendation. We'll make sure it's something that's going to be within our wheelhouse, and then we just kind of find something that looks interesting at the time to us, and we haven't like necessarily covered it. For example, we're doing we're recording Chipotle tomorrow with Brad Freeman. Um, we've, you know, uh, I guess I'm speaking for both of us, but I've been discussing Chipotle stock with Ryan for a few years. We've vaguely followed the stock. Um, but this is kind of a way for us at maybe a price that looks decently attractive. Who knows? We haven't done the show yet, but like it, it forces us to do the research. And then since we think it could be a compelling opportunity or like on its face, it kind of looks a bit, you know, better then we think that, that that'll be helpful for the listeners as well. And then, yeah, a lot of the times, I think the next week we're doing Warby Parker and that was a listener suggestion. So basically that. Yeah. And then inter- interviews, we kind of try to find either people we've known and had back on the show or anyone who's written a good report on a specific stock or pairing up someone who's a good analyst and uh, an interesting company. For example, the one we released today, ASML with Leandro Invest Quotes on Twitter. Uh, from best anchor stocks, he knows ASML super well, and he's a great analyst. So that's what we're looking for with those interview shows. Yeah, the, I mean, there's not any like one way that we generate new companies to do on the show. Uh, Brad said that he likes to use this as a way to outsource his research uh, because he said like if he's thinking about looking into Chipotle. We we segment the different. I think all the listeners know this, but we give each other different segments. So I I'll basically like if Brad wants to know about the earnings last quarter, that's my segment. I'm basically doing that work on his behalf. So it's yeah. kind of nice to get sort of 
the initial idea filter to get other people's takeaways on the business. So usually it's either something we're interested in or it's a listener rec. Those are kind of the two primary ways. All right. right. That, yeah, that is it. It's not, not an exact science. And then we rotate who chooses. So we rotate every week. Okay. Next topic. Oh, Next topic ahead. here. Microsoft got chosen as Netflix's partner. Now, that was super interesting. Uh, I should explain. Netflix's partner to do uh, for the, I, I believe it was supply side platform, but basically to help them run their advertising on their new advertising supported tiers. Did you have any thoughts on that? And were you surprised? Well, honestly, I had no idea that Microsoft had an advertising like Bing. arm and apparently it's doing $10 billion in revenue. Come on, Bing. 10% market or like five. I forget. What is it? 5% or 8% market share? LinkedIn too, right? LinkedIn. Is there, there's advertising on LinkedIn, isn't there? Oh, for sure. I didn't know they did video advertisements though. So that was, I think the big surprise. I actually met someone that worked at LinkedIn, like I want to say two weeks ago. And he, he said, it's really nice. He said they get a lot of flexibility from Microsoft and it's kind of nice to have them as like a parent company because you get the resources if you want them, but they give them the flexibility to be their own company. So I don't know, kind of just random anecdotal, but uh, no, I don't, I don't really have any takeaway. I guess like they're cutting out Roku. Are they? I thought, do we now? I, I never know for sure because it's sometimes a black box. If it's still played on a Roku device, does Roku get a cut of that advertisement? The way I understand it is if it's not a subscription, if it's ad supported, you can either give Roku a percentage of that supply, the advertising supply, the ad inventory to fill, or which is through their, I think it's called OneView now, I think. Yeah, they, they acquired DataZoo, which was like the uh, supply side platform, and they turned it into OneView. And so they can either fill that or you give them some content that they get to use for their Roku channel. So maybe if, uh, if they've given all the supply or all the ad inventory to Microsoft's ad platform, they'll start uh, pushing some Netflix content onto the Roku channel. Maybe that doesn't make a lot of sense though. So I would be quite surprised given for if Netflix was going to do that, but they're, I guess, and not as strong of um, competitive positioning as they used to be. There's also the trade desk one advertising for Disney's properties, which I think is also interesting. Big win for the trade desk. I don't Disney properties, Hulu, Hulu. And I think, you know, the, as they bring more ad supported channels, um, to streaming, you know, sports, stuff like that. Oh yeah. I don't know. I've just, I thought they would, I thought the way it worked is they tend to like diversify it where it's not just a single supply side partner or DSP or whatever ad, advertising exchange i thought they gave like all right five percent we'll let magnite experiment with and other whatever we'll give to a few others 
Yeah, I thought that's. Doesn't how it feel it risky too. to just pick one, I guess. Unless they <laughs> yeah, give that, you like a giant discount. Maybe Microsoft gave Netflix like a huge discount. True, they're gonna switch them to Azure. That would be the big win if yeah, they did that. Would. The I mean, it makes sense because Amazon is continues to invest heavily in Prime Video, but I guess that's a different discussion. Yeah. It seems similar to payments where I think people were a little shocked when Stripe was the only partner for Shopify. You want those you know, back-end payments providers. You want to have multiple, see who's doing the best, who, who's getting the best uh, completion rates. And you, know, you can work them against each other for pricing. I think you'd want that, but maybe this is just the primary partnership. I didn't read into the, the Microsoft agreement, um, but... I don't know who else they could have picked because a lot of those, okay, a lot of the advertising technology companies seem a bit small for how Netflix is trying to come out. You know, they already have so many hours streamed on the platform, if you get what I mean. Yeah. I don't know. It's just CTV, I can't, I can never get my, I can never wrap my mind around it entirely. Yeah, all we well back in the day, not back in the day, like four years ago, we were just like, well, we use Roku and it's at four times sales and it's growing quickly. That's <laughs> and the margins were increasing, but besides that, um, yeah, my I don't old, have my old investing style was very much. I kind of wish I had it sometimes. Like when I first started, it was like, oh, I like that product, I'll buy the stock. Yeah. <laughs> Now, now I, I'm like just second guessing myself over and over. Yeah. I mean, it's probably, probably for the best, but it was more fun to just be like a cheerleader. Yeah. It is. I don't know. Yeah. I don't like, I think there's definitely, op- if you have any good, like, if you think, yeah, I don't know, if you have high confidence in a certain part of the, CTV market, be it Disney, Netflix, or or Roku, or uh, Trade Desk, Magnite. I don't even know if Magnite's in that, but the advertising technology companies or uh, a Paramount or something like that. I think there's a lot of chance here to get outsized returns, but I'm just not sure where... I'm truly not sure where all the value is going to go over the long term. It's got to go somewhere. It goes somewhere, but I'm not sure versus the prices that these companies are trading at. If you get what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Roku's a conundrum to me too. I love the platform, but the more I think about it, I'll use the Fire TV. I don't care. Whichever one. It's the cheaper one in my living room. Yeah. If but the thing is, this might be a testament to how shitty Roku's gross margins have been. They are the cheapest one. When I did it, when I bought mine like a year ago on Amazon, on Amazon, so yeah, they are. <laughs> unless unless Amazon starts giving away TVs for free to Prime members, I'm not sure if I would uh, go to that from Roku. Because by the way, I uh, I tried to use Grubhub Plus. Oh yeah, you tested it out. Yeah, what a what a joke. The uh, <laughs> bad product. There's a delivery fee. Oh yeah, I did. Uh, There's still a delivery that. fee. I did investigate that. There was a what is it? Two dollars? Another two dollar fee? Yeah, my okay. My nine dollar burrito from Chipotle that I wanted came out to a sixteen dollar total. 
So yeah, maybe my delivery was free with Prime, but there's a ton of there's a service fee, a still another delivery fee. I mean, well, there's there's taxes, right? I mean, the taxes the burrito comes out to like ten something, but my, uh, my burrito comes out to less than ten. I know it's like nine fifty right now, right in our area. It's still for, another six. I mean, it's still yeah. like another fifty or sixty percent <laughs> surcharge. Yeah, it's bad, and I think the industry is just screwed. It's not sustainable. Like I, uh, I downloaded Grubhub Plus because you know you get the year-long free trial, but I don't think I'm ever going to use it unless I get really unless somehow we you know the the podcast starts taking off and we have a lot more disposable income. If you don't cancel by the end of your membership, it automatically bills you. I wonder if that was the play here. <laughs> 12 months, they're going to have a significant amount of Grubhub Plus members paying. Yeah, I'll probably just cancel here soon, but... I yeah. always get like sort of angsty, like anxiety that I'm going to forget to cancel and I just cancel immediately. Well, that's weird. I, I guess it's smarter though. Here soon. Yeah, but I got a year. <laughs> I might need it. The yeah, but I, that is big for subscriptions. Is people don't uh, a lot of times people forget to cancel. That's that's a big part of the model. But well, executive hard to cancel. Yeah, well, that I don't enjoy that. Like the newspapers do that. I do not enjoy that. But a lot of people forget they subscribe to say even Netflix. <laughs> And What's the most valuable subscription you've ever had? Prime. Easy. There's no even... I paid for it. Like my family had it. Obviously, I'm living on my own now. But uh, I paid for it myself. It's worth it. It's so worth it. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I don't pay for it. So I don't pay for it right now. But Wait. I paid for it myself in like 2015. You think that's it is, more value? You get more value out of that than your Spotify? A hundred percent. I don't go to stores except grocery stores, and it's great. I don't care about shopping. So, plus the video, plus the saving on costs, plus the one day shipping, which is back now, basically, except on Prime Day. Oh, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I think mine might be Chegg, honestly. That's Chegg. Chegg. That's probably the highest ROI gets you a degree. Well, I was more of I was more of a password share on that one. But it is uh yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. Netflix is probably not up there for me. It's Prime, dude. It's so worth it. I mean, I don't subscribe to Prime. Costco membership, I think a lot of people get value out of that because you get like discounted gas. Yeah. You but- probably save, I'm guessing you save. 40 bucks a month on gas if you're a Costco member. Yeah, but it's all coming out from the time you wait in line <laughs> and how much farther it is oh, away from your house. It's never that bad. Uh, not the ones I've seen. 30 minute wait. Oh, I've never had a 30 minute wait at Costco. No way. I've seen those. Well, Costco membership is, I'm just, I think the, I think the, the gas thing is just, uh, it's not, it's not a scam because they obviously give a good value, but people just, 
go crazy on the gas, like drive ten That's minutes so much extra. Cheaper. Who care if if you have to wait Me. longer? If you have to wait longer and drive ten minutes further, you're valuing your time. You're valuing your time, your free time. At a, such a low wage, that just isn't the case. That isn't the case. You don't have to. You don't have to wait. 30, I'm not sure where you've come up with this idea. That you have to well, wait, wait not thirty minutes, but say ten minutes compared to one that's most, just empty. The most I've had is like there's four cars in front of me and there's three pumps. Plus, but if you have to drive ten minutes farther, it's not like okay, let's ten minutes. You, you have the gas. Gas like two is uh, half a gallon or something maybe. All right, that's two dollars. You're saving twenty dollars in the tank. It is worth it. No, but the time, the twenty minutes in time that you have to spend the extra ten minutes each way, I don't think that's worth it. You're wrong. It is. I. You can do the math. It's two or three dollars of of gas to get there. You're maybe spending twenty extra minutes to get it, mm-hmm. and you're saving twenty bucks. Oh, you're not saving 20 bucks. No way. Saving pretty close to 20 bucks. No. Oh, no yeah. way, dude. No way. I would say most most of the gas stations around me, 540, 550 a gallon. At Costco, it's $5. 50 cents a gallon. So you're saving 10 you're saving 10 bucks at best. I mean, let's yeah. save a truck. I don't think that's worth it. It's just not true. Plus, there's enough, val- there's enough Costco's out there. Well, they're most of them. I mean, most uh, you could live close to one, but most of them, yeah, on average, probably 10 minutes from your house. And if you're grocery shopping there anyway. That's fair. That's definitely fair. But I've seen a lot of people go out of their way. Oh, I've got to go to Costco to get this gas. I'm like, dude, just stop here. Like, what are we going to save? 10 bucks? Like, I just value my time higher than that being on the road because I hate driving. It's just not, yeah, I'd rather just pay a little bit more for convenience. All right. The, uh, anyway, that's probably, I would put that membership above my prime. Really? Yeah, I think so. Big jar of peanut butter? Dollar fifty hot dog? Oh, yeah. You get, a lot out of, you get a lot out of Costco. Yeah, but yeah. I'm not feeding a family of six. I think as a family, There's stuff. A lot of the stuff that doesn't go bad, it's you can buy it for a long time. But can't you get? I mean, I've seen similar deals on Amazon, like for giant stuff. And yeah, the UI is shitty. Sorry, not great. Sorry for swearing. Um, the UI isn't great, but like, can't you get a giant thing of peanut butter for cheap there? Huge container, right? It's not that different. Plus, you don't got to drive. Some of the private label stuff is actually uh, pretty good. Some of the Kirkland signature. Oh yeah, I, 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 yeah. Some of that stuff. Some of the items they have there, for sure. It's like, uh, what is it? What is it? Amazon's Choice. Yeah. Well, Amazon's Choice. Yeah. Yeah, that's more of like the Kroger. (laughs) That's more of Amazon Choice. I mean. Yeah, some of the the treasure on aspect of Costco for sure, but I just don't get that much value out of. Well, I I get no value out of Grubhub Plus. Doesn't matter to me. Well, I, yeah, Prime Video, 
for six months out of the year because they have all the local Sounders games or the local soccer games for my area where everything else is a blackout market. So I'll use prime video for that, but uh, there's nothing really, nothing else really on there that I feel is a must watch. Maybe I'm wrong. Once this Lord of the Rings thing comes out. Uh, you, you, you haven't even watched Lord of the Rings unless you change that since we had Lord of the Rings. You didn't watch it. Oh, well, I guess we, you said no two years ago when I was did watching not, it. Did not read the books. And I did not, uh, I did not read, I didn't watch the movies in proper order. Yeah. Cause you watched like the second one. Well, when we were living together while I was watching it, you came like halfway through. <laughs> I mean, it was always showing on like cable TV. Like they always had reruns of it. It was right. Like every day. Well, also Amazon prime has Thursday night football now. I mean, during the football season, I'm going to be on that and it's exclusive now. Um, yeah, I just love, and I don't think this is how everyone thinks, but I just absolutely love the efficiency of never having to go to the store except to get groceries or, uh, or food. It's, it's amazing. I don't mind the store. I just, if people enjoy shopping, I get that, but I don't like going to stores. It's just not how I want to spend my day. And Amazon has freed me up with an incredible subscription deal to how many hours in my year? Dozens, dozens of hours in my year. I could do whatever, whatever I want now. That value is, and look, I don't think everyone looks at it that way, but that value is huge to me. Plus it's split over multiple family members. Well, yeah, I mean, it's super valuable if, if uh, you're password sharing. Well, I mean, family, you know, it's a family account. Yeah. The, uh, all right. Enough, enough of Amazon. Uh, yeah. The, you look at JP Morgan's earnings. No, bank earnings are a mystery to me. Yeah. What was there anything, sure. anything fascinating? I know it's such an important one, but I just look at if the stock went up or down. <laughs> Apparently they have. Oh, I didn't see this. Down 4%. All right. Q1 2022. The firm's board of directors has authorized a new common equity share repurchase program of $30 billion. That was the first quarter. That was first quarter. Second quarter, most recent quarter, we have temporarily suspended share buybacks. This is a firm? Not J.P. Morgan. Oh, no, this is J.P. Morgan. Oh, uh, the, uh, the firm. The, oh, were, oh, in quotes. I thought you said a firm. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Uh, Thirty billion dollars they'd be buying like themselves ten times over. Yeah, that's why I was confused. So J.P. Morgan was gonna had a thirty billion dollar stock buyback. Looks like the market cap's ten. Thirty billion. So that they authorized in the first quarter and suspended in the second. Why did they suspend it? Jason Moser's got a perfect, perfect gift for it. The uh, Ferris Bueller life moves pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. Here, I don't know why I guess it says JP Morgan suspends buybacks and warns on global economy. Well, all right. I thought, uh, I thought what's his name? Just, did that whole like 60 minutes interview where he said the consumer is strong. Who, who was that diamond? No. Yeah. Uh, I thought, uh, but 
I, it's so strange to me how in this sort of market environment, everyone looks for just a random anecdote about how from someone that could have information about uh, who might be in the know, like the, the consumer is strong. But like a month ago, he said, watch out for a hurricane. Who knows? No one knows. It's not like, it's all BS. They, I mean, they'll, they'll see the data coming in, you know, JP Morgan over the next year or so. But like the predictions, how do we know how the consumer's feeling? Like the sentiment is, here's what's crazy. The Mich- the, there's the Michigan surveys and yes, surveys aren't perfect, right? But you see the Michigan sentiment surveys and it's the worst since I believe, don't quote me on this, it's the worst sentiment of a, from consumers since like 1971. So through the oil crisis of the 70s and the bad, terrible inflation, people are way less confident now, but they are spent, they're still spending like crazy on, on travel, all that stuff. So I can't, all this data, I don't think it ever fits into one thing and it's just kind of nonsense. Like you, you just kind of have to take it as it goes. Did you, uh, did you see the South Park movie had a, had a clip of Matt Damon selling out for crypto. I saw that clip. It looked very South Parky, very grotesque, and also d- funny. Did watch the clip? Yeah, I think I retweeted it. Fortune favors Matt Damon. That that is a good that is a good <laughs> slogan for sure. I think that's how it went. I want. I really hope we get like a leak or something of how much he got paid for that ad. Maybe like 2 billion, something like that. I could be interested. It's crazy that he like, I mean, he really did sort of risk his reputation. Eh, reputation among the investment community, but does he really care about that? Maybe other people that bought a bunch of crypto. That is true. If, if someone decided to buy crypto because Matt David walked in an airplane hangar with, uh, oh shoot, what's his name? The Explorer, Marco Polo, <laughs> a Marco Polo statue. Then, yeah, I guess I wouldn't like, I lost a lot of money. I wouldn't like, I wouldn't watch his movies anymore. Uh, but I think personally, if he's in a good movie, I'll watch. I still watch Margin Call, even though Kevin Spacey turned out to be a creep. Yeah, I think, I mean, Matt Damon's top notch actor, but, uh, I can't I can't unsee crypto.com ad when I look at it. Yeah. There's been a lot of other actors too, right? We had I mean who are was- who are the non-investment people that either shilled out for it or went laser eyes at the top? Who didn't who didn't Tom do Brady? that? He did that, yeah. He called the top really. His <sighs> wife. Damon. Tom Brady's wife did it too. Uh, uh, what's her name? I forget. Giselle. Giselle. It's a hard. It's a hard, hard name to pronounce. Snoop Dogg. Uh, who? Snoop Dogg. I think it was like Nicole Kidman or something. I'm trying to look at all the. Ja Rule. To... <laughs> uh, ja Rule always calls the top. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Larry Trevor David... Lawrence took I think his salary in Bitcoin. That's right. Uh, there was that offensive tackle that used to play for the Seahawks. That Russell was. Kung. He's an advocate for crypto as well. 
like not even getting paid for it. Well, maybe he is. He probably is. The locker room tell is a real thing. I'm convinced. Yeah, we had that. We had that. We were in a locker room every day in 2017. And man, bubbles. Oh my peak, God. Peak in the locker room. <laughs> I remember people hyping up Bitcoin. And I was like, I don't know, man. Cause we like someone, people would say like, Oh, this guy's interested in stocks. You should talk to them. They'd be like, I got this Bitcoin. <laughs> like, I don't know what it's going to do. And they'd be like, dude, it's going to the moon. Like, uh, they were so confident when I was at like 17,000 back in 2017, just insanely confident. And I was like, almost wow, gone, we've almost gone full circle, huh? That is that correct. Yeah. I was thinking about that. If we go a little bit further down from here, I wonder how much that hurts psychologically for people that bought six years ago. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah. That's like a horrible feeling. <clears throat> I mean, a lot of equity investors probably feel that way as well, but yeah, not as bad though. Not as bad. The thing is they didn't have to, there's so many of the new ones that were IPOs that have gone down 80 or 90% that they don't have like the reference point of, oh man, it's back to 2016 levels. Okay. You're meaning stocks yeah, they're yeah. down like. I guess, um, yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Serious topic. Unity made an acquisition. I again, I follow Unity loosely. So if we get anything wrong here, I just want to use it as an example for a broader concept. They acquired a company, and people seem to be very upset. It works within the ad marketplace thing, and people seem to hate this company they bought. Also. There was some weird financial engineering they did where uh, they're getting like funding from someone and they're going to start buying back stock at like eight or nine times sales when their margins aren't you know high right now. Um, I Okay. So if you look at their management team, the CEO used to be the CEO at EA from like 2010 to 2013 or something like that. States could be wrong, but I believe his tenure ended in 2013. During that time, EA made some of the worst acquisitions they've ever made. And <laughs> get even he almost made the company like like uh, didn't ruin it because the stock's done well, but one of the hardest companies to ruin because of the monopoly on sports games. And they almost started destroying lots of shareholder capital. They did, I guess, with the acquisitions that were, you know, very poor. In hindsight, is was that a big enough of a red flag to say, yeah, Unity is not ownable because this guy is we he had such a bad track record back at EA. We're afraid it's going to happen here, and yeah, we don't know how this deal for Unity will go. But isn't this just? kind of another indication that you know he might be the same old dog no new, no new tricks here yeah it's possible the uh the problem well, is like i've heard it sucks because i guess this is the same as like ea way back when is i've heard great things about unity's core core competency uh their core business model and how it makes it easier for developers but when the conversation becomes like, 
essentially, how do we get people excited about our stock again? Which feels like that's kind of what it is here between the buyback and then like theoretically synergistic acquisitions or stuff that would maybe get shareholders excited. That's like my giant red flag. They're just incinerating capital. Well, here's the broader question. Can you, is it smart to like, I think you could have seen this. Like you shouldn't have been able to trust this, this person as the CEO, knowing their history of mismanagement at yet. How long was he the CEO of VA? Uh, let me check. I will confirm. You said he was exiled in uh, 2013. I think, for, for lack of a better term, let's look at let's look at Wikipedia. He joined the company in October 1997. Like it's jumping, he returned to EA, so he left at some point. Serve as CEO from February 2007 to March 2013. Um, when. In 2013, the board of directors accepted his resignation because of the company's financial performance. I don't have the exact stuff, but the, one of the video game analysts and reporters for Bloomberg, Tay Kim, had a nice thread of all the bad acquisitions he made at EA. And if we look at EA's stock price or chart during that time span, let me get a little uh, wide charts going here. It's not that that was a time period where they kind of were treading water, even though they should have been. They have the dominant position in part of the gaming industry, if you get what I mean. If you get what I'm trying to say. I kind of just generally hate acquisitions. Well. I think, I'm sure there's stats on it, but I feel like three out of four times or 75% of acquisitions end up not great for the acquirer. Yeah. Look at their stock price from January 1st, 2007 to January 1st, 2013. Down seventy one percent. Yeah, some of that was the GFC, but Activision Blizzard and Take Two Interactive and other publishers were doing quite well during that time span. The secular tail one in gaming was huge. Again, they had the lock on FIFA, Madden. Um, so, how when you hear the line, the board accepted his resignation. What does well, that tell you? Well, it said for financial performance. I mean, it was one of those. It, we all know how that goes. It's not hard to imagine. You don't have to be in the room to know that most of the time it's, we want to fire you, but if you want to resign, go ahead. Uh, yeah. That's... I'm sure he's fine. Apparently got yeah. this job somehow. Well, what happened it could the work. Unity? Is he not involved? Not sure. I'm not sure. Look, I could be saying all these things and Unity could be, this acquisition could be amazing, but Given his track record, it's probably. I worry, and I do think that's just something that's really important to look at as an investor. Is do you trust management to take care of the cash that they have at their disposal? Not take care, use it wisely, because so many are use it poorly, and you can just see it happening in uh in hindsight. You gotta like. I just think. Finding the ones that have a good track record of using it smartly. Yeah, Buffett, the easiest example, but there's others out there. And sticking with them for the long term is like, how can you 
why buy something else? I guess the way you I mean. it, you're either investing in an allocator or you're investing in a concept. The goal, if you're investing in a concept, is that whoever's at the helm allocates the capital to uh, to that concept, like growing that concept. So, like, let's use Chipotle as an example. Uh, whoever they brought in, that Taco Bell executive poured money right into the exact concept that they had. Essentially, they cleaned up some sanitation problems, but into the exact same concept. They didn't have to go out and make a tough acquisition and make something else work. If But if you're investing in sort of a conglomerate, take IAC or Berkshire, you are investing in that allocator. Yeah, but I think that's it's way more gray area than that. Like, it just is. Chipotle's yeah. nickel... Chipotle has a great track record in the franchise industry. I mean, Taco Bell was a huge success story the last decade. If it was the CEO of, oh gosh, what's a middling? Well, let's just use another young brand's one, Pizza Hut, who's gotten its lunch eaten by Domino's. I think that is just something you really should pay attention to as an investor. Unless you're in one that's a ham sandwich company, which there are a few and far between, maybe but EA was concept. a. Yeah, but it, I, I think there's a difference between Chipotle and a ham sandwich company. I don't know if I believe in ham, ham sandwich companies. Well, EA, I guess the stock was down seventy percent, but it, the business still was still up around. A ham, ham sandwich. Yeah, Coca-Cola, Hershey, Pepsi. Brands can die. Yeah. Under Armour. That do not compare Under Armour to Hershey and Coca-Cola. Um, yeah, there's definitely it's not a black and white. But I I just I don't know. it's not doing the same thing twice or what what was the quote like doing the same thing three times or something um, and expecting a different result. It's the is, is the definition of insanity. So investing in these people who have the track record of destroying shareholder capital, I kind of, I don't know. All right, running out of time, but we got Alex. Should we answer this? Try to answer this quick. Ooh, yeah. Thoughts yeah. Thoughts on investing behind the Roku channel. Uh, that is the land of uncertainty. I see some advertisements on my home screen for the Roku channel, and I cannot... Uh, I laugh every time because it's like Roku channel. Wow. Watch two broke girls. Here we go. All right. I watched, Great. I think I watched the big short on there when they had it on at one point, but it's, I only visit if it has like some really good third party content. Uh, but we are running up on time. I'll, uh, I, I wish I would have saw that earlier, but now it is sort of the land of unknown. I have no idea whether or not the Roku channel could be something. Seems it's like nice to have an alternative if if uh, if a company doesn't want to give away their ad inventory to you to have a place for them to compensate you in another way, which is for them you to be able to license some of their content. So I guess the Roku channel is good for that, but I don't know if it's worthwhile. I don't know if it's worth a bunch of spending. They yeah they say their top line numbers that great without giving any exact numbers. However, how much yeah you know, what's the margins? Yeah. We'll see. Right. I've got to sign off. That's uh, that's going to do it. But we're here every week 
on uh, Thursdays, 12 o'clock Pacific time, uh, three o'clock Eastern time. We should put a disclosure on this. We want to remind our listeners that Brett and I are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. We are, however, general partners at Arch Capital, so clients may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.